the only one that remembers the Beatles. Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotting just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday Podcast, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. This week's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Casper. Go to casper.com slash filmcast and use promo code filmcast to save $50 off your purchase. That's casper.com slash the word filmcast and use promo code filmcast to save $50 off your purchase. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinter Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show. You can find more episodes of our podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Today, what we're going to be doing is discussing what we've been watching. We're going to move on into a Slash Film Court, which we haven't done for a few weeks. That's where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas and then conclude with an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing Netflix's movie The Discovery. Uh, And this is a new movie directed by Charlie McDowell, uh, the guy who directed The One I Love, which is uh, a movie that I really enjoyed. It, Jeff, Mm -hmm. I remember you raving about it on the podcast as well. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, uh, Great indie film from 2014 that I think, uh, if not available on Netflix now, definitely was for quite a while. Uh, But yeah, Charlie McDowell, talented dude. Uh, Let's talk uh, this episode about what his latest film is all about. Uh, In the meantime, I do want to mention I am violently ill. I'm feeling very bad today. And so if I'm a little bit quieter, if I'm a little bit less opinionated than usual or slower to talk than usual, it just is because I'm not feeling super great. Going to lean on my co-host a little bit more uh, for some support. Uh, So sorry that my voice kind of sounds a little bit crappier than usual, but we're going to get through this together. So... Uh, let's get into the show, guys. Before we get to what we've been watching, I did want to mention one piece of film news that was kind of a big deal this week. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has announced new rules for the upcoming 90th Annual Academy Awards. Uh, and specifically, you know, Jeff, I had a, re- a really great time gloating. Uh-huh. Yes, you did, Dave. For this, <laughs> yes, you did. this year's Academy Awards. But you know I, what, Dave? The wheel turns, however slowly. <laughs> let's, uh, so let me just... <laughs> the arc of justice. The arc of history bends, bends yeah. towards justice. Uh, so, uh, you know, Jeff Kanata and I have had a lot of differences during our time together. One of them is that I believe that O.J. Made in America, the seven and a half hour long documentary that Ezra Edelman made should be categorized as a film, which is why I put it in my top 10 films of 2016. Jeff Kanata ridiculed this idea, uh, and things seemed to swing in my favor when the Oscars awarded Best Documentary to O.J. Made in America. I mean, it's got to be a film if it was nominated and won an Oscar. Yeah, these are not uh, television awards. These are film awards. That's right. And and therefore... (laughs) Ipso facto, QED, 
You won the argument, Dave. That's right. That's right. Uh, unfortunately, not for long because new rules state that multi-part or limited series are not eligible for awards consideration. So It broke the Oscars, <laughs> broke David. The Oscar. Be, I, I think largely because of my gloating on the podcast. Yeah. Like all, the, all those Academy members listening were so furious – that yeah. they lobbied to make this change at the Academy Awards. You know, I, you know, I heard about this, Dave. How'd you hear about it? About a thousand people emailing and tweeting at me, <laughs> saying, "You won the war. Yeah. You won the battle, but you won the war." That's right. That's right. Well, anyway, uh, I, I don't know if an apology is the most appropriate, Jeff, but <laughs> I will say, yeah, you you win this one for now until the pendulum swings back the other way. Uh, you win this one for now. And yeah, uh, documentaries, quote unquote, such as OJ Made in America, will now be heading towards the Emmys. So, yeah. Hey, you know, more power to it on the, at the Emmys. I just, you know, if we, if, <laughs> yeah. you know, seven and a half hour film, I'm sorry. That, and you know what? I have a related issue to bring up with you guys. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Next week will mark the release of Fast and the Furious 8, Fate of the Furious. Uh huh. Is that film a summer movie? Because mm. it is April, right? Yeah, it's April, guys. We have been having this uh, like this issue for a couple this of years is, now. This is yeah. feature creep in the film industry, <laughs> is what this is. This is summer creep. Summer's just too big, Jeff. I don't know, Jeff. I, I feel like it's ludicrous to categorize it as a summer movie. I agree. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. The but first, I a spring fling. The first day of summer is June twentieth, twenty seventeen. And like it's it, you, you know if you call it a summer movie you're like one of those people that uses literally incorrectly you know what I mean <laughs> like it's, like all all of us all the time you mean uh um, you know all of you who aren't me is what you're saying then Jeff <laughs> yeah. anyway and then there are the people who call out the other yes, people yes yes I'm part yeah. of the people and that that's call Dave. out the other people that's right <laughs> but we, what what if it yeah. ends up being uh, in theaters throughout most of the summer and ends up making a bank of summer dollars is it yeah. then a summer movie mm. it's going to be on those lists of the highest yep. grossing movies of the summer yep. But it's not a summer movie. I don't feel good not about yet. that at all. I don't yeah, feel I good just, about that at all. I just, people are going <laughs> to lump it in with the summer movies. It's a summer blockbuster, summer, summer, summer. Are you, you know you're going to hear that constantly. <laughs> if it's in the theaters longer during the summer, that's, uh, that's, that's a quandary. That's a slash film Yeah, court. Yeah, that, that'll be a future slash film court episode. Anyway, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention about the Oscar rule changes, the Academy announced that voting in the animated feature category will be open to the entire – Voting membership, uh, whereas it used to just be – I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Not just cartoon characters? Yeah. <laughs> That's Just right, yeah. the uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit cast. <laughs> right. It used to be just you know people who are in the category, right? People who uh, mm-hmm. like do animated films um, or create animated films. But now it's going to be open to everyone, which – uh, is actually really discouraging to me because you know this year for our nominees were uh, uh, Moana, Zootopia, The Red Turtle – Kuba and the Two Strings, My Life is a Zucchini. And, uh, you know, The Red Turtle and My Life is a Zucchini, those are movies that probably would not have been nominated if the uh, voting was open to everyone. You know, and I like it that, you know, these, uh, like Finding Dory might have been nominated instead, and I think that would have been really sad. So I think that is actually, I mean, I think all these changes that we're talking about are for the worst, Jeff, to be clear. Mm. Uh, But this one especially, I think, will prevent, you know, kind of these uh, unsung, uh, underrepresented, you know, underrated movies from showing up at the Academy and and, uh, getting them to people's attention, you know? Although, to be fair, they haven't always been showing up in the animated category. That's true. This is kind of a strange year for things like that to be there. It's true. 
Are you in general in favor of a smaller, more specialized group of voters or do you think do you think that larger numbers of voters makes it more of a popularity contest and a sort of a cultural zeitgeist con- uh, contest? Yeah, totally than- the latter. You know, I think yeah. it's, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it, it used to be, quote, a select craft-based group uh, that voted on the animated films, and now it's going to be open to everyone. Uh, I think it means, you know, less craft is involved in more popularity, and that's a bummer. So, but do, you, do you believe that across the board in all categories? Do you think all categories should be only their – I mean some of them maybe, still are. Maybe everyone except for you know, like Best Picture or something like that. You know, there's, like, there's some that I think probably should be open to everyone, but, uh, but yeah, in general, like sound editing. I don't know that everyone needs to weigh in on that. You know? mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, wanted to just acknowledge those changes. Before we get to what we've been watching today, Devinder Hardwar – Start us off. You've been watching uh, this movie that, you know, a lot of people actually suggested that we review mm-hmm. this movie today. And we probably I, would have been better off reviewing this movie. Yeah, and, I you know, agree. I actually wanted to uh, as well. I would have suggested to you guys, but it's not playing in my area until uh, this Friday, I think. So, or Seattle. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to checking this movie out. And that movie is what, Devendra? It's Your Name, the next movie from Makoto Shinkai. Um, this is a – so far it's been one – it's the highest grossing anime film ever, ever made. Uh, it was a huge hit in Japan. Um, it was also big in China. And it debuted pretty well here too. Um, even though it opened last weekend, it did pretty well in American 1. theaters. 1.6 million in its yeah. uh, opening weekend in the United States. It's surprising. So. It was playing in a lot of – even though this is New York, we don't normally get anime films like on many theaters. But there were several options for me here in New York. Um, and this is a movie about uh, – It's sort of like a gender swap movie. It's about a boy and a girl who find themselves inexplicably changing places in their lives and them just trying to figure out how to deal with that situation. Uh, That's the core of it. It is a really unique sort of – it's a really unique romance and a really unique film about relationships and uh, friendship and all sorts of things. In that way, it kind of reminds me of uh, The Discovery 2. I can't say much about this movie. That's the thing, because this movie goes to places you would not imagine. Like, it's one of those things, if I say too much, it'll just spoil it. I just have to say, if you have this movie in your local area, uh, it is beautiful. Makoto Shinkai's movies are always fantastic. Um, They look incredible. He's very big on digital animation. His first film was Voices uh, of a Distant Star. It was a short film uh, done early 2000. He did that entirely on his Mac. And that was an anime movie about, uh, it was kind of like a precursor to Interstellar. That was about a guy and a girl who, you know, fall in love and the girl goes to fight intergalactic war, guys, and fight aliens. And the difference in relativity between her time and the guy's time, like, kind of drift them apart. This movie is kind of similar, too. It is all about how connection forms between two people in very different places. Um, I can't really say more, other than it's fascinating. Um, If you like anime films... I think this is going to be right up your alley. But even if you don't, I think this is a good example of anime that shows how it could be very different. Like, I can't see this movie being done in live action, uh, even with a lot of CG or something. It's just the tone of it, the feel of it. Uh, This movie is gorgeous and shows off animation the best possible way. So basically check it out. And maybe if we have a free spot, we can do a full review for this because I'd be down for that. All right. Uh, the movie's your name. And actually, I just found it is playing near me. So my bad. Thanks, Dave. My Thanks. bad. My bad, guys. Thanks. Jeff, uh, you, put, you have plans to see this movie? Did you get, did you get a lot of tweets I'm, about this movie? I did. I definitely have plans to see it. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, I was hoping to see it before today's episode, but I didn't get a chance to do that. All Traveled right. So this it's weekend, not so. just my fault then. <laughs> 
it's maybe maybe a future spot. Right. It's, yeah, it's very good, and I can't wait to see it again. All right, Devinder, what else have you been watching? I've also been watching Thirteen Reasons Why, and this is a new series that just hit Netflix, uh, based on a young adult novel from the late two thousands, I believe. And this is it, it's sort of in that genre of the murdered girl show, which has weirdly become a thing, like Twin Peaks and The Killing, and so many other shows. Um, but this one's a little different too, just because it's entirely about a series of tapes that the girl left behind. And the real hook of the show is the mystery of figuring out what's in these tapes. She's sort of revealing uh, information about people who she had relationships with in high school and her friends. And that's really the crux of it. Like something weird happened and the entire show is about figuring that out. Uh, it sounds kind of hokey, but I really got into it mainly because this show really gets the high school experience and I'm a bit of a sucker for those things. So it's uh, it centers on a boy who was friends with the girl and the girl actually wasn't murdered. She committed suicide. So it's a really he- heavy sort of show uh, to wrap a mystery like this around. Um, but the show itself is also a great exploration of high school culture, high school friendships, bullying. Um, and really, I, I think it's it's going to be an interesting thing for actual teenagers to watch, too, because it dives into some deep territory that I wonder if a lot of kids have questions about, like a certain types of bullying, uh, like slut shaming, like all things like that. I wonder, uh, from what I hear, this book uh, sparked a lot of conversations uh, between kids and uh, their parents. And I wonder if this show is going to lead to that, too. The show itself is just really entertaining. Uh, I love the cast. I really like all these characters. Um, So it's worth a watch if you just want a nice Netflix series uh, to to kind of plow through. It's a really intriguing mystery. And that's kind of what keeps... That's what's keeping me going on this. How far into it are you, Devendra? I'm about halfway through right now. And, you know, there are some issues, uh, but it's very good. Like, it has hooked me from the start. All right. Well, that's Mm -hmm. 13 reasons why the whole thing is available for streaming on Netflix right now. And anything else you've been watching, Devendra? A couple things. I just want to briefly mention The Marvelous Mrs. Basil. And this is the new show from Amy Sherman Palladino, the creator of uh, Gilmore Girls. Uh, this is the, one of the pilots up on Amazon right now. It's about a New York housewife in the 1950s who learns that she wants to be a stand-up comic. And that's it. It's kind of like crashing in a way where we're seeing a lot of shows about people exploring comedy. And this one goes into like classic stand-up New York comedy too. Like Lenny Bruce is a character on the show. Jeff, I think you will love this show. Yeah. Um, it is like typical Amy Sherman Palladino dialogue. Like it's really rapid fire dialogue. Uh, just really witty. Uh, I love the lead they got for this. Um, Rachel Brosnahan plays Miriam Maisel. Uh, and she's just this really like confident, really quippy, a uh, young housewife who finds that she could probably do really well as a comic. Uh, I really enjoyed the pilot. Um, and it was actually just picked up for two seasons um, by Amazon. It's the first show where they've done a multi-season pickup. So that's probably going to be coming next week or next year, actually. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, I'm looking forward to that. And you cool. should check out this pilot. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is the name yeah. of the, the series. Uh, and I see you've watched Blade 1 and 2 again recently. I did. I did. Just briefly, I want to talk about uh, the Brooklyn Academy of Music had a wonderful Wesley Snipes retrospective for the past couple weeks. Um, And I went to a double feature of Blade 1 and 2 on Saturday night. And let me tell you guys, uh, to go to this screening, I I basically opted out of two other awesome things. uh, The Furious 8 premiere in New York, which would have been fun. And also, um, uh, what's the... uh, 
the the Kubrick film. Uh, Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon Live was also happening in the theater, like a couple steps from my house, with a live orchestra and everything. So I feel really bad about missing that. But that just shows you how much I love Blade 2. Like, that's it. I did. I skipped those things to see Blade 2 with a crowd of geeks. And it was totally worth it. It had some friends there. Um, it wasn't like a very full theater. But it was a theater of people who clearly loved that movie and some people who had never seen it before. So that's just a fun experience. Blade 1, a lot of stuff still works in that. I love some of the set pieces in Blade 1. But really, I went there for Blade 2, and that movie is still fantastic. Very cool. That's Blade 1 and 2. Speaking of older movies, you know, um, Matt Zoller Sites recently wrote a appreciation at RogerEbert.com of The Fugitive. Uh, you guys fans of The Fugitive, the Harrison Ford movie yeah, based on the TV series? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I rewatched this movie recently. So and, good. man, it is really good. Um, spoilers for The Fugitive, though, guys. Uh, the the <laughs> plan, the guy's plan, like, you know, you find out at the end of The Fugitive, the Harrison Ford film, that uh, the, the doctor switched the samples. This is that scene when Harrison Ford, like, barges into the party and he says, you switched the samples, you know? Yeah. And, he switched the samples on this drug that like, the doctor switched the samples to make it seem like this drug was really effective. But what was that guy's long game? You know, like he makes it seem like the drug is effective. Then people start using it and they start dying. You, know? yeah, you make the money, you make the money quick and then you skip town. See, you <laughs> just, skip yeah, town. Yeah. Just felt like not a very good uh, long plan. Anyway, that was back when Harrison Ford being in a movie meant it was pretty much guaranteed to be good. I mean, th- that movie was really remarkable. I think it was uh, it was nominated for a bunch of awards. Uh, like it, it's kind of like a an action thriller that was, you know, that rare action thriller that was really respected critically as well. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It was nominated for best picture, best supporting actor Tommy Lee Jones, who who was the only one that won an award, best cinematography, best score, best sound. You know, like it got. Uh, a bunch of Academy Award nominations. It was very well respected, and it is just an incredibly effective mm-hmm. piece of filmmaking. So that got that wonderful uh, story. I don't know how apocryphal it is, but that wonderful story about how there was like two pages of dialogue when Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford finally meet in that tunnel, uh, you know, with the yeah. with the water gushing by them, and on the day of shooting. Harrison Ford evidently, supposedly, the story goes, said, uh, what, what's the essence of this scene? Uh, I didn't kill her. I don't care. And that's what they shot and put in the movie. Yeah, building like Indiana turned, Jones. Yeah. yeah, they turned the two, just two-page dialogue into you know, two lines, and it's like so badass and memorable. The movie looks great. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, I think this is probably my favorite performance of his. Hmm. It, it's not my favorite film of his. You know, I like... No Country for Old Men. I like Three Burials of Melchiata Estrada. You know, I like those films better. But this is probably my favorite performance of Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, he like eh. played this guy like four other times, right? This was became a like <laughs> prototypical Tommy Lee Jones performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, but No movie, Country was like that character just being tired of this shit. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, that character. Yeah, yeah twenty years older. Uh, the movie just is incredibly efficient, and of course, there's some scenes in it that really wormed their way into popular culture, like the. Um, Harrison Ford jumping off a bus and, you know, like that getting cra- – like, and, and then the There's a lot of jumping out. in that movie. I remember like yeah. The Simpsons did a, did a parody of that scene. Yes. You know, and like, like that is how you define cultural relevance is when The Simpsons <laughs> – at least back then when The Simpsons did a parody of you, like everyone knew what you were, talk- uh, what you were all about. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only weakness that I think this movie has is – other than that incredibly huge plot hole that I mentioned earlier 
is the uh, action choreography is not super great. You know, it's not Harrison yeah. Ford's strongest uh, action choreography. It was the nineties, Dave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, other than that, the movie's still spectacular and uh, looks fantastic, sounds fantastic, uh, and has awesome performances. So, Dave, I just did a uh, a quick Google search for uh, Simpsons Avatar episode, <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, they parody Avatar in an episode called "In the Navi." Uh, it's uh, it's part of a Treehouse of Horror, but mm, it's still. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, they were running out of ideas at one point, John. <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying, by your own by your own words, just moments ago. Well, I said, said I said back then. I, I caveated with back then, John. Uh, uh, back then. Uh, all right, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, what else have I been watching this week other than the Fugitive? I'll link to that that uh, appreciation of the Fugitive in the, in the show notes. But other than the Fugitive, I watched a couple other things. Um, there is a movie called Detour that's available mm-hmm. to rent. Right now on video on demand, this is the uh, latest film by Christopher Smith, who made Triangle, which is like one of my favorite horror films of all time. And this movie has really flown under the radar. I don't know anyone who's talking about this movie, who's seen this movie, and uh, you know, it's not—it's not a movie that's as good as Triangle. But in my opinion, uh, I think it's a really fun, pulpy thriller that has a couple of mind-bending twists in it. So I really enjoyed it uh, and just wanted to throw it out there as like if you're looking for something where you don't need to think too much about it and want to see some some thrills. It, you know, it feels very much like a TV movie. It's not very – it doesn't feel very high budget. But it mm-hmm. has some decent performances specifically by Ty Sheridan and Emery Cohen. Ty Sheridan, if you don't know that name, he, he he's like a young actor. He's in uh, X-Men Apocalypse, Mud. Uh, and he's also was in uh, what do you call it, Tree of Life. He's one of the kids in Tree of Life, I believe. And he's going to be Wade in Ready Player One. So uh, his career is on the up and up. Uh, and yeah, Emery Cohen, also a very talented dude. But uh, yeah, Detour is the name of the movie. It's by Christopher Smith. If you want just kind of the uh, uh, fun thriller uh, that has a lot of dark, scary, mind-bending elements, then Detour is a solid choice. Wanted to also give a shout-out to 2017, the new uh, comedy special by Louis C.K. Jeff Kanata, you and I apparently both saw the, the live show that 2017 is, right? Yeah. In fact, uh, I was a little disappointed when I, when I turned on Netflix and was all excited for the new uh, Louis C.K. special and realized that I had seen it live. And I guess I should have just known that. But um, Yeah, it's, it's been a crazy – you know, like I watched the Dave Chappelle special live as well and then saw uh, yeah. it on Netflix and you know saw the Louis C.K. special live and then saw the Netflix – uh, I, I think it's really funny, you know, and uh, there's – like the best of Louis C.K., it has a lot of things that make you think or make you realize truths about yourself or about society uh, while also making you laugh. Um, but, uh, you know, he opens up with this extended monologue about abortion and then <laughs> goes into like this riff on making fun of uh, of poor people. And whatever. It's, you know, like I'll just say bold move. And I'll just and I'll say this one other thing about Louis C.K., which is that of late, like I saw his SNL opening monologue recently. Oh mm-hmm. man, was yeah. that ever like poking poking people? It was yeah, meant to provoke. Like, so you know, on on one level, when I saw Louis C.K. live and when I saw this special, uh, part of me understood that he is trying to be offensive. Like he mm-hmm. he gets some joy out of riling people up. You know, like out of people getting upset at something he's saying. 
and and I really bought into that. You know, I really thought, okay, well, on its face, what he said was pretty offensive, but but he's playing this character of this guy who's <laughs> offensive, and and like I can appreciate kind of the art form in that. But sometimes Jeff Kanata, the character he's playing, just <laughs> verges into like, wait, isn't yeah. that just offensive? You know, like yeah, it's difficult for me to fully appreciate because sometimes I, like that is that is a racist joke you know like there is no real justification for that other than that it's racist um but so that's what makes it funny dave yeah i don't know so and i'm just uh. saying that of late uh he's been making me a little bit more uncomfortable uh and based on how well you know our discussion of dave Chappelle's uh <laughs> special went davindra and a lot of people writing in about that you know i'm sure people will be very yeah. helpful in chiming in to tell me that they're just jokes but just uh, I, 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 I love the quality of uh, cultural criticism uh, coming. I'm just, share, I'm just sharing with you that like I have uh, watched every single Louis C.K. special, mm-hmm. most of them multiple times, like most, some of them five, 10, 20 times, right? So I've spent a significant percentage of my life watching Louis C.K. specials, and either I have gotten sort of uh, more easy to offend over time, which is very possible. Or the the kind of classiness of his jokes, or or where he's going with his jokes, has ventured into territory that right. is more offensive. You know, I I, I, I don't know which I, one. I don't know which one. I do wonder if like this is a guy like I love his work so far. Um, I do wonder if he's going to build himself like into a rut where he has to keep one upping his offensiveness to keep getting that shock. Jeff, can I, I have a feeling you have an opinion on this? I do indeed. <laughs> I think. Um, I would venture to say, and I'm not trying to put words into his mouth or anybody else, but sure. it seems to me that there is a, a because of uh, outrage culture and and the the um, the the reaction that happens uh, now to to comedy or comedy bits or jokes that are uh, viewed as offensive. I think there is a wing of comedians, and and I think. Louis C.K. would probably proudly put himself in this category of people who, 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 for whom the joke is how offended you get. Right. Like, like that is the point. It's not that they're, oh, these are just jokes. You shouldn't be offended. It's look at how funny it is, how easy I can offend you. Right. And, but not in a, not in a, um, like alt right, you know, were you snowflake? Were you so? You know, why are you so wimpy? Way it's more like a, I think a a uh, finely constructed thing that pokes fun at your own sensitivity. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and to be honest, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of looking for that. Like that's if it was just that if it was what you're saying i don't think i would have been as bothered i mean i to be honest like the the 2017 special didn't even did not bother me as much as the snl opening monologue i the snl opening monologue was audacious i mean but but i also there's a there's a bit in the middle of it where he talks about white privilege in a way no one else i have ever heard talks about it where he's like it's awful it's awful that i'm white and i'm treated like this at a hotel but but like, why aren't you treating me like this? I'm white, you know. It's, it, it's such a, I think, an elegant way to like turn that on its head, and mm-hmm. it's a really brave perspective, Jeff. Yes. Y- well, <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's brave. No, I'm just no, saying I, it's I, a, I hear you. I hear you. I'm just saying it's a. Yeah, I just think it's a. It makes you think, right? And that's that's mm-hmm. kind of his job. I don't know. I, I, yeah. Well, I think what I've noticed is that, especially with like the alt right trolls and everything, right? They've kind of co-opted 
that formula of like, yeah, trying to offend as the humor. And I guess that the fact that that we had that throughout the whole election and then that has kind of crept into our very, admin, you know, presidential administration. Uh, yeah, leaves a tougher, bitter, a more bitter taste in my mouth. I right definitely now. agree with that. And I and I think you, you're right there. But I, I think it's the difference between the hacky version of it and the sort of smart version of it. And, you know, Louis C.K. I don't think is always mm-hmm. – you know, above reproach. I'm not saying, suggesting that, but uh, I think a, a lot of times, especially with that SNL monologue, the beginning of it, I was just like, "Wow, really?" Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. to be clear, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, talked about my Louis C.K. Bonafides and talked about all the stuff I've, I've watched of his. I, I have never been offended by any, like, any of the stuff that he's done until this special and then this uh, this SNL monologue. Mm-hmm. You know, like, until this point, like, all that other, you know, his specials, like, Live at the Beacon Theater, Hilarious, at the Comedy Store, Chewed Up, like, I'm Louis C.K. from way back, never had any problem with his comedy and, like, uh, has never pushed any of my buttons. But for some reason, just this most recent uh, special and then the, uh, speci- specifically the SNL monologue, really kind of made me question whether I should really be supporting this guy, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying like my support is important or, or in, in, in any way. I'm just saying for my own personal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my own personal sense of self. Like, is this someone whose comedy I want to support? Uh, I have never questioned that until the yeah. last like couple weeks. So I, I, there's a difference too between like what a comic puts into his act and what they do outside of that. And there are definitely comedians who like whose comments on their work and comments about things, you know, outside of, you know, their actual act that has made me less inclined to really like their stuff. And if first Louis so far, it's just been the work. So maybe it is just part of the joke. All right. Well, that's 2017 and it's available on Netflix right now. It's Louis C.K.'s new special. You can also check out his SNL monologue on YouTube. Uh, watch it. Decide for yourself whether uh, the jokes are defensible. Here's a joke. Why did the chicken cross the road? Because there was a black guy walking behind him. And he was, he was nervous. He was new to the city, this chicken. And he was like, I feel like he's following me, but I'm not sure. So then he thought, maybe if I cross the road, then if he crossed the road, he's definitely following me. So he crossed the road. And the black guy went home. He's living his life. And the chicken was like, I'm such a racist. And he felt, he felt bad. About a month later, a black guy ate the chicken. Uh, Different black guy. I'm just telling you what happened. (laughs) By the way, don't be upset, because this is not a racist joke. This joke is not racist. The chicken was racist. The chicken was definitely racist. But that's chickens. Chickens are very closed down and suspicious and prejudiced. You kind of can't blame them considering that their species murder rate is 100%. That's why chickens... That's why chickens are like... There's no friendly chickens. You can feed the same chicken every day. He's like, get the... I'm not coming over there, you black son of a bitch. I know what you want. I'm not in your soup yet, you Jew. And finally, wanted to mention that uh, The Leftovers is a show that I have caught up on, finished season two. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, season two is way better than season one. 
and I think a lot of people just hated the Guilty Remnant, which is a, a, a kind of group that's introduced in episode one of the show. Uh, and season two has a lot less of the Guilty Remnant. But I was a fan of both seasons, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they, I would give them both like eight and a half or nine out of ten um, and enjoyed mm-hmm. many aspects about both of them. So but, I mean, surely, Dave, like there are some audacious as hell stuff in the second season. Like I think that's part of it, too. Like, yeah, not yeah, to spoil yeah. too much, but like the hotel stuff, the, yeah. the mere like t- 10 minute opening of the pilot, you know, over the <laughs> second season, first episode, like just insane stuff to have on TV. I agree. I agree. Season two really does. I mean, they weren't using the book as the source material in season yeah. two. So Damon yeah. Lindelof, who's a showrunner, really had the opportunity to just let loose and yep. uh, do what he wanted, do what he does best. And I thought he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, so leftover season two, worth recommending. And I'm going to talk about it in a non-spoiler way in relationship to the movie that we're talking about today, because I think. It does a lot of world building really well, and uh, we'll talk about whether the Discovery does world building really well. But uh, <laughs> anyway, leftover. Well, now's a good time to catch up, by the way, too, because yeah. sex- third season is coming up. Season yeah. three is coming up. It's going to be an abridged season, eight episodes, and the last, and, and the last season. Yeah, but oh, to man. be honest, it's a miracle that they even gave this a last season. It's a know? miracle show. Yeah, because uh, the ratings actually went down from season one to season two. So the fact that HBO really invested in this, they said, like, hey, this is part of our brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's great that the show has a chance to tell one final chapter. So I'm really looking forward to season three when it releases. That's what I've been watching, The Leftovers. Uh, Jeff Kanata, uh, you know, I talked about Detour, a Christopher Smith film. You watched a show called The Detour, right? <laughs> yes, we both had detours. Uh, the Detour was one of the shows that was recommended to me uh, when I came to the audience and asked for great suggestions. And, um, man, I really, really like it. This is a, uh, a creation of Samantha Bee and Jason Jones, the married couple that you probably know from The Daily Show and now Samantha Bee's uh, talk show. Um, but this is a narrative you know, sitcom, basically, uh, although it's single camera. And it's great. It's basically a family of, you know, nuclear family uh, going on vacation and uh, bad stuff happens. It's sort of, uh, you know, um, National Lampoon's vacation meets like Judgment Night or something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wow, nice reference. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's hilarious, man. It's hilarious. Jason Jones shows that he really is a good actor as well as, you know, a funny commentator pundit. And uh, I really love uh, Natalie Z or Zia. I'm not sure her name. She was from Justified. She was the uh, um, the love interest on again, off again love interest on Justified for several seasons. And it's you know it's it's hilarious. It's over the top. It's wacky. It's just the right amount of wacky. Um, you know, some crazy, un- improbable stuff happens, but it it is bringing me along for the ride. And I think the second season, I'm I haven't gotten through the first season completely but um i think the second season is airing now it's on tbs and uh it's really good it's really funny i'm enjoying it a lot cool that's the detour you can check it out on tbs uh anything else you've been watching jeff yeah uh i caught up on another sitcom that my wife and i both love i had lapsed for quite a while we felt fell very far behind but oh uh, i you guys have probably heard me talk at length about um last man on earth in several episodes that show is still awesome. In fact, I would say they have gone places this season 
that are even darker and weirder and more bold and daring than they have up to this point. Uh, we were kind of finding out more about what life might have been like before the the apocalypse that caused you know this this man to be the last man. Um, and it's still really funny, and I I still just love all the characters, and you know it's it's a great show, and I'm just so impressed with how dark they have gotten uh, with certain things. I mean, really dark, and uh, but still very funny. And there are a couple of episodes in this season that have been like bottle episodes with different characters that we didn't even know before. It's it's really kind of inventive and cool. Cool. Well, that's The Last Man on Earth. How did you watch it, Jeff? What uh, VOD service are you using? Oh, you know, I'm on that uh, – still on that DirecTV now, which uh-huh. I, I – You sound super happy about that. I'm not. Uh, I'm very intrigued by this – YouTube TV thing that was announced. Yeah. I'm wondering if that might be my cord cutting solution because um, the problem that I'm having with with DirecTV now is that I'm back to like the old dark ages of having to actually set my watch to watch something <laughs> because it doesn't and not everything is you know VOD. It really is watch live television. I'm like, oh man, my wife and I have to like tune in at eight o'clock to watch something. It's like, How what am I do? a barbarian? Well, uh, most of those cloud services are also getting like DVR of sorts too. Like Sling just added it, so it'll yeah. probably have to direct. It, yeah, it's it's DVR, but it's it's so weird because like you it's have not to really. in, well, you, I mean, you have to indicate that you mm-hmm. want to quote unquote record a show, yeah. but really they have the show. They but, have all, they, but yeah, they have it all. You know what I mean? It's so like you're recording it. So yeah. if you don't indicate that you want to record it, you can't access it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's. Are you talking about Directv now or YouTube? Oh, I'm talking about YouTube, right? Yeah. So you want to record Last Man on Earth or whatever, and then you say, you say, hey, record this with my DVR. But then if you if you accidentally don't do that and you still want to access it, they have a copy of it. Someone know, has weird, DVR'd right? it, you know, but they won't give it to you. So there's just these kind of weird rules like that. It's but, all make believe, guys. Yeah. It is all make believe. <laughs> Thanks to content licensing. Yeah, yeah. It's like why text messages cost different amounts of money than any other data. It's it's all make believe. Indeed. Well, that's Last Man on Earth. You can watch it on Directv now, or uh, I think it's on Hulu. You know, it's on Video on Demand, other services like that. Uh, and that's the end of what we've been watching, gentlemen. I've told you about how I'm violently ill. I had a... It wasn't the flu, because you remember last a few months ago I had the flu, and I wanted to die, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. this is just, I think, a, a pretty uh, severe cold. And uh, what are your coping mechanisms for, for when you get a cold, guys? For me, uh, there's two things that are incredibly important. Number one, uh, I, I stay in one room and jack up the heat so it's like 80 degrees. So I'm just like sweating the entire I'm time. Worried that's not how you're ending that sentence. I have Go a ahead. space. I have a space heater r- directed right at, at everything below the waist right now as, as we're recording this. Uh, and the second thing is get a lot of sleep. You know, the body needs yeah. sleep to stay in the, bed. Yeah, repair the immune system. Don't tax yourself. And uh, in order to get that sleep, guys, true story, I use a Casper mattress. Uh, Casper is a sleep brand that has created a perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. And in doing so, it has eliminated commission-driven inflated prices. Uh, An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing Casper, and it shows. Uh, It's super comfortable. I love getting uh, sleep in this, especially when I'm not feeling well. Uh, It's great to be able to just relax and know that I'm getting a really comfortable evening of rest. Um, Sounds like uh, their low prices may benefit you too, Dave, now that you're 
your current caster mattress is likely full of phlegm and disease. <laughs> That's correct. We have to we have to burn all of my sheets. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, the prices on a Casper are pretty awesome, and uh, you can actually get fifty dollars towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash filmcast and using promo code filmcast. That's casper.com slash the word filmcast and using promo code filmcast. Terms and conditions do apply. But uh, yeah, you know, you might be wondering to yourself, well, hey, I could buy uh, a relatively inexpensive mattress online um, and I'd get it shipped to my house. It comes in the super convenient box. But what if I don't like it, right? What if... Yeah, I don't like ordering things online. There's a reason why we go to the store. I don't like ordering things online. I don't want the risk of buying a mattress without seeing it and testing it first, right? Testing it first. Well, guess what? You got a hundred nights to use this mattress in your own home, risk-free. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up, refund you everything. So that's even better. That's like twenty David Chen sicknesses right there. That's. Yeah. I mean, if you want to think about it like that, that's a really disgusting way of thinking about it, but it's true. I mean, assuming my average sickness lasts five days, you can do 20 illnesses. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Uh, and yeah, it, there's a lot of awesome benefits to it, right? Super convenient, inexpensive, super comfortable, and risk-free. Um, so we've talked about ratings before rotten tomatoes ratings star ratings on this podcast uh casper mattresses have over twenty thousand reviews and an average of 4.8 stars uh and it's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress i mean guys whenever i go to amazon.com or wherever and see or netflix you know netflix used to have five star ratings now they switch to the thumbs up or thumbs down Mm-hmm. Uh, if something was over three and a half stars, I'd say to myself, hey, that might be worth trying. Casper. <laughs> this is ACAST Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your wing cut. Technician James Wigington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Actress, 4.8 stars. Uh, So definitely something you should give a shot. Again, casper.com slash filmcast. That's casper.com slash the word filmcast. And use promo code filmcast to get $50 towards any mattress purchase. Uh, So thanks to Casper for sponsoring us this week. Let's move on, guys. We have now a slash film court to talk about. The Slash Film Court is the quasi-weekly segment where we adjudicate your film-related dilemmas. And you can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com or actually slashfilmcourt at gmail.com. An intrepid listener claimed that uh, email address for us. 
So slash filmcast at gmail.com or slash filmcourt at gmail.com. Both of them go to the same place. And this email comes in from Lucas. This came in just a couple hours ago. Uh, please let us know where you're from. Oh, actually, no, he does. He says, Lucas from Los Angeles. So Lucas writes in, uh, I live in Los Angeles and spend most of my days driving for a TV show doing various runs. I was driving home from work. It was 6 p.m. and L.A. is swelteringly hot. I drive an old car and the air conditioning doesn't work. The cost to repair it is too expensive. So I pretty much drive with the window down everywhere I go. I'm listening to the Slash Film Cast episode of Logan and generally keeping to myself. I don't blast my music, or in this case, podcast. I was keen to listen to the episode because the ending of the film was particularly moving, and I was curious to hear your thoughts. I came to a red light and waited patiently, and listening to the spoiler section, suddenly I heard someone shout, Dude, seriously, what the fuck? <laughs> I looked over at the car to my left, and the driver was waving his middle finger at me, shouting about spoilers, how he didn't want to know what happened in the movie, and informing me <laughs> about what an asshole I was. Close your windows, dude. The, the, Other light, dude. the light turned green. He sped off out of my life forever. I felt terrible. The movie had been out for a while at this point, but I still felt guilty. Of all the ways I've accidentally spoiled a movie for someone, this was definitely the most bizarre. I never dreamed I'd be involved in a drive-by spoiling. <laughs> My question is not what should have been done, but how terrible should I feel? That's Lucas from Los Angeles. So, not at all, Lucas. This is, guilty this is the, or not guilty of spoiling? This is the new punk rock, guys. Crank your spoilers and put, give the middle <laughs> finger to the man. <laughs> Divinder Hardwar. What do you yeah. think about Lucas? Not guilty. Not guilty. Why Not is that? Um, mostly because, yeah, I, so yeah, spoiler sections, I guess, are really weird. I wouldn't like go blasting it on a subway or something or like <laughs> while I'm walking down the street. But, you know, your car is your own little temple. Um, I do think <laughs> if that person was so worried as soon as they started hearing that there was some spoiler yeah, talk. Like they should have rolled up closed the window. Your window. Right. You have the power. To close your window. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I have a lot of sympathy for Lucas's situation here because I used to drive a car that did not have air conditioning. Uh-huh. And, you know, it costs like – it can be like $1,000 to repair air yeah. conditioning. So yeah. you just you just let it go sometimes and just drive around without the windows on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Devendra. It's kind of – you know, if you can hear what's ha- what we're saying, you can probably you probably have enough warning to know that yeah. you you shouldn't uh, be listening if you're in another car. If yeah. you're in the car, so I say not guilty as well. Jeff Canada, what say you? I also say not guilty. I think this is uh, you got to have some responsibility as the driver of the other car. It, it I don't think that there's any volume level at which it doesn't take some attention yeah. to listen to words being spoken in another car. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. you he turned his attention to that noise coming from the car. That's a little on you, pal. I mean, it, you know. How I many understand weeks has it been since Logan has been out to you. Yeah, it's been it's been a few weeks since Logan's been yeah. out. So. I mean, I, I, get, I you, get being upset. I get yeah. be, be disappointed of all the ways to get spoiled that literally a guy in the next car is listening to a show where people <laughs> tell the end of things. Uh, I, I get that. That, I think, would be frustrating and disappointing, <laughs> but I wouldn't then blame the driver of that car. Yeah. I feel like I would, I would feel like, oh, my luck of pulling up at that exact instant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That middle finger it? should be pointed at himself. Woe indeed. is me. My luck. All right, Lucas, yeah. you got three not guilties. <laughs> you are not guilty. I um, also, do you think, like, if you've waited this long, because Logan, Logan's been out for a while now, and I understand, like, the need to still preserve some spoiler, uh, you know, I, I try not to ruin things if a movie's still in theaters for people, but, you know, 
if you really care that much, you'd have seen the movie um, by I, now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know if I, I don't know if I agree with that. It's been months. Months. It has not been months. This guy's yeah. been stuck in LA traffic though. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you guys don't know what it's like out here. <laughs> You know, Jeff, we did receive uh, some uh, some of our own Oof. spoiler court accusations. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, this oh boy! Week. Well, because, yeah that that was uh, that was a unique one. Yeah, yeah, because uh, during the spoiler section of Ghost of the Shell, Jeff accidentally dropped some spoilers for Get Out. <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah, I, 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 that's a mea culpa. I really shouldn't have said what I said. Uh, it was a throwaway one sentence that. I, if you do some serious thinking, could be a spoiler, uh, but uh, I, I, I shouldn't have said it, and it's, it's on me. I apologize. All right. And yeah. I also apologize, to be honest, because uh, I feel responsible for things you do, Jeff. No, I'm just joking. Uh, because I, uh, I usually catch stuff like that. I usually catch stuff like that and you know, remove it before the podcast goes out or you know, uh, say like call, call it out. or so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I take some action. And uh, I guess I've been I've been dropping the ball on that. I've been getting a little lax on that. Well, my so. only my only pushback slightly, and again, I have apologized, and I do think that that was uh, my I shouldn't have said it. Jeff only, unconditionally surrendered already, but indeed, yes. indeed. Uh, my only pushback is that <laughs> it's not like I it's not like I set out to spoil the movie. You know what I mean? It, yes. it was a, a really quick one sentence. Not not a we weren't even talking about Get Out. It's not like. Oh, and then the end of Get Out, this happened. You know, it, it was more like it was a comparing themes. Uh-huh. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like one very specific theme. It was too. a very specific theme that's revealed like fairly into Get Out. Yeah. But uh, I agree with you, Jeff, that, there, you know, it's not like you articulated the ending in great detail of yeah, Get right. Out or anything like that. Uh, that being said, I understand why people call it a spoiler. Uh, and that's we, why I apologize. And yes. we in general are like very careful about that. And so, you know. Calls as I said to Devendra, you know, and possibly you on this podcast before Jeff. I think what uh, what would bother me more is if no one mentioned it because that means no one gives a shit. And I yeah. like that. Like if we make a mistake and we get fifty corrections, that means people are still listening and hold us to some level of professionalism. So appreciate yeah. all the calling us out. And uh, yeah, yes. It, it can will, I can I say one more little thing that <laughs> yes, may ahead, I, hopefully doesn't invalidate? Jeff all is the pulling apolog- United. Let's yeah. see what all of the apologizing that I have <laughs> already done. I would venture to say. Uh-oh. I don't know if I'm that. <laughs> Most of the people that noticed that had seen both movies, and that's why they knew it was a spoiler. Mm. You know All what right. I mean? I, I doubt there was anybody that <laughs> caught that, understood what it meant, and then also was like, I haven't seen Get Out yet. Oh, this is what that means. Maybe that happened, and that for those people, I sincerely apologize. But I yeah. think that this is that, like, I'm outraged for other people thing, uh, which. Uh, you know, but but well, Jeff, we were, almost, that, we were almost out of the woods. We're Jeff. okay. We were <laughs> good. I am sorry. Ten I'm, lashes, Jeff. <laughs> one living and dead. Everything yeah. forever. And to All bring right. it back to Logan, that came out on March third, so it's been a month and a week. Come on, dude. Yeah, I, I, I agree. If you care that much, probably go try and check it out. But hey, the guy who cursed Lucas from Los Angeles and drove away, you know, maybe he has kids. Maybe he's got a busy life. He couldn't make it out to the theater. Seems that, like a nice guy. That being said, we've already voted on this, Devendra. Not guilty. Uh, and I, I, you know, I agree with what you guys say. It, it's very difficult to hear what's going on in someone else's car unless they're blasting it, which Lucas from Los Angeles has already said he wasn't. So not guilty, Lucas. 
Thanks for uh, writing into the Slash Film Court. Again, slashfilmcast at gmail.com if you want us to adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. Let's get to our review of The Discovery. Dr. Harper, why did it take you six months to address us? Where have you been? It seems to me that I, I invite you here to my home. We only received that invitation after the suicide toll had rapidly reached a million. Don't you think your discovery was just too dangerous to share with the world? Isla! Isla! That was from the trailer of The Discovery, the news film by writer-director Charlie McDowell. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A love story set one year after the existence of the afterlife is scientifically verified. Uh, and this movie stars Robert Redford, Mary Steenburgen, Jason Siegel, Rooney Mara, Jesse Plemons. Guys, this, what a cast! This cast is incredible. So you Amazing. Got this, got this guy, Charlie McDowell, who uh, directed The One I Love, which is kind of a breakout hit, indie hit, uh, which we all really enjoyed. He uh, then comes out with this movie, The Discovery, which debuted at Sundance and then now uh, is out on Netflix for millions of people to watch. It's got this amazing cast. It's his follow-up, very highly anticipated to this other sci-fi movie that he made that is, is well-regarded. So, hey, we thought to ourselves, you know, this has the makings of at least a very interesting conversation, if not hopefully a great movie uh, that we can all enjoy. Now, let me start by asking you this question. This movie, The Discovery, hinges a lot on the relationship between Jason Segel's character, Will, and Rooney Mara's character, Isla. I think you really need to buy how that relationship plays out. I'm not going to say how it plays out, but I think you really need to buy how it plays out in order to uh, have the movie work on you in a really effective way. So to start with, let me ask you, Jeff Kanata, did the Will-Isla relationship work for you? Wow, I don't think I would have put that much emphasis on that relationship as being the the focal point of the film. I mean, I understand thematically it it kind of is, but for me, it didn't live and die based on huh, their okay. connection. Gotcha. Um, right. But I would, I guess, I would, I would concede that um, that it's not super strong, but it is. I think the whole movie works on this uh, is is in this very morose, melancholic place, and they're really they're kind of butting up against each other in a really interesting way. And I, I found I found their first meeting to be uh, enigmatic and mysterious and interesting, and it kind of drew me in. So I guess I guess that wasn't the problem that I had with this movie. I see. What was the problem, Jeff? I <sighs> mean, I. I really w- was ready to love this, and I think mm-hmm. it, it's got a a tantalizing premise. I mean, I don't know how much even of the of the basic premise we want to reveal, but it is um, dark and uh, g- get your brain working. Uh, you know, I mean, it's very. This is this is the stuff, right? This is the great question of life: is what happens after we die, and to see a movie tackle that head on and really dig in deep in a sci-fi way about that, I was really anticipating it, loving it. And the cast and all these people, you know, Redford is, wow, this is amazing. 
I just don't think the script was strong enough to support those ideas and that level of talent. It, it is it, – it, it, there are massive just logistic questions that I would have based on <laughs> the sci-fi premise, right? There are things that happen that I'm like, well, that's not really how the the things have – been set up to work. So why is that happening now? And it it just dips into sentimentality without earning it. Mm. And I found that to be very disappointing. And ultimately, I, I as intrigued as I was throughout, I found the payoff to be completely uninteresting and um, a, a big disappointment of just not paying off those sci-fi ideas effectively and not the the house of cards that it builds of things it's asking me to accept as far as, you know, the pseudoscience and the, the, you know, the, the rules of our world just completely collapse under their own weight and are just kind of disregarded in favor of broad sentimentality and a sort of pat answer to everything. And that's the weakest version of this idea, I think. Yeah. So I saw the one I love, uh, Charlie McDowell's previous movie, several times in theaters, including once with a Q&A. And he described writing that movie as kind of an outline. Like he wrote an outline for the movie. I think it was like 20 pages or something. And then most of the script was improvised with the main actors, uh, Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss. Uh, and I wonder if he used the same approach for this movie because a lot of the dialogue in this movie does also feel uh, very naturalistic and improvised. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if like this, which in my opinion is like much more hardcore uh, sci-fi than the one I love was. You know, I wonder if uh, that style is just ill-fitting to this more ambitious movie that he's trying to make well even uh, even from an outline perspective it's just structurally like where we land with this premise where where it ends up and and the payoff that we get it just it just didn't work for me at all all right well i'm looking forward to talking about this with you in the spoilers davindra uh brief thoughts on the discovery uh sure yeah um for me the relationship wasn't uh a core to the film but it actually did work for me for the most part, but yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you, Jeff. Like, it feels like it builds up so much unique and interesting stuff. Uh, I love some of the ideas it brings up, uh, including the idea, and this is in the trailer too. So, like, the basic idea is that, you know, they've discovered, um, you know, the existence of the afterlife and how will that affect the world and how people view the value of life and everything. And that is all really interesting stuff to explore. But in a way, this feels like a Shyamalan movie where maybe he had an idea for a nice way to twist things up towards the end and he built it in reverse and it just didn't quite like lead there. Like, it felt like the, the film... movie was building to the end reveal, whatever mm-hmm. that is. And then, yeah. like everything, like he kind of backed out to, you know, build everything towards that. Yeah. But that, you know, according to Jeff, the ending is not super satisfying. And then as a result, uh, kind of, Separately, the the movie building up to it is not super satisfying mm-hmm. either. Is yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, we, yeah, we don't organically get there. So yeah, that, it's a shame. Like I, I love so many of these actors. Uh, although Jason C- Jason Siegel in this movie reminds me a lot of uh, that impression of Jason Siegel from Pop Star. I couldn't get that out of my head either. <laughs> Sarah <funny>. Marshall, <laughs> <laughs> because like mopey Jason Siegel is very, <laughs> I think, is easy to make fun of. Right? This isn't like him in uh, the David Foster Wallace movie, right. uh, or even him in like Freaks and Geeks. Like this felt this entire movie is incredibly 
really morose. Yeah. And I, it's tough to do much with that material. It's kind of like The Leftovers. The vibe of that show in the first season is just so morose and heartbreaking. But I think they found a better way to handle it in season two. Um, maybe there is a way to inject some life into this movie. Yeah. No. I, it's uh, funny. I, you know, I, I hate to impose this on him, and it's it's very unfair to say, but I actually couldn't help thinking that half of the subtext in the in the scenes he was in is like. I'm acting with Robert Redford right now. <laughs> I'm acting with Robert Redford. It, it is kind of amazing. Like I'm Robert, I'm Robert Redford's son in this movie. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of my thoughts on the movie, uh, the relationship, the central relationship, didn't really work for me. You know, and in the movie, the one I love, that that relationship really did work. I, I really mm-hmm. bought those two actors as a couple. And in this one, uh, I'm not going to say where they end up with uh, these two people, like what their, the nature of their relationship is, but it really did not work for me. And I think. Um, a huge part of that is on a script level, you know, like whatever the script was, whether it was improvised or not, it, it just wasn't enough for me to really buy that they formed the relationship that they did in this film. Right, right. Uh, and separately from that, you know, you mentioned The Leftovers, Dundra. Uh, you know, The Leftovers is a show where they probably spent, let's say, I'm going to estimate – Forty million dollars per season, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a massive undertaking. It's ten hours long per season. It's uh, it's a completely different undertaking than what the Discovery was, which is a, a fairly low budget sci fi movie. That being said, the world building in the Leftovers is so incredible. Uh, yeah, like some scenes, you know, like every aspect of the, that show feels like it, it has been incredibly well thought through. And I've read interviews with Damon Lindelof where they'll just spend lots of time like thinking, okay, if this happened, if 2% yep. of the world's population disappeared, what are all the possible implications? Oh, a religious cult would form around that idea? Okay, what, 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 what would happen to the religious cult? How long would it take to build up? You know, would there be cells all over the country? Would it be like really organized? You know, in the, in the course of three years, like how, how much would it have developed? Like they've put all this thought into it. And you'll see like a radio, st- like a radio story that you hear in the background, or a TV story in the background, or a sign you see in a store. Mm-hmm. It all goes towards building this incredible world that the leftovers has created. And in the discovery, I felt like they they took this big shortcut by setting yeah. the whole movie in one location, and as a result. It just doesn't feel like a fully fleshed out world that you're witnessing in the aftermath of this major scientific discovery. You know, it feels like we're getting a tiny glimpse of it that doesn't feel super well thought out and fleshed right. out. Right. It never felt like, oh, I'm in, I'm in this alternate reality. You know, it felt mm-hmm. like um, I'm in this kind of very high concept premise that's like in a bo- like a bottle episode on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, and part of that is because yeah the scope is different. There are these you know leftovers trying to be a different thing than this movie is. But I guess the world never really worked for me. Um, based like beyond the relationship, just mm-hmm. I, I never really bought the premise that this is the world we're seeing after this major discovery has occurred. It's very out strong though. Like that first scene. Um, first scene is great. Opening scene is great. Yeah, and right. I like movies that just like kind of throw you in there. It's like okay, this is it. This is what's up. Are are you with me? Yeah, or not. Right. And I was with it for most of it uh, until I felt like the movie didn't quite know what it wanted to do with the whole premise. Uh, but I think the initial response, like the the main thing that starts happening because of this discovery, I, it does feel like something that would have happened in the leftovers, um, you know, writing room. And, uh, you know, the, it, it seems like a logical conclusion. I just wish they had done more with it because uh, this movie builds up like a, another pseudo cult that isn't quite 
thought through. Like it does other things, and then we'll talk about other stuff in the spoilers. Yeah. But yeah, Jeff, uh, you were saying you agree with what I was saying. I do. In fact, I, I'd like to underscore what you said in spoilers because I think um, some of the things that I want to agree with you are specific. All so. right. Well, let's get to spoilers for the discovery starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, it's kind of... Uh, Davinja was talking around it a little bit, but let's talk directly about it. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the idea that science proves there's an afterlife which means people start killing themselves to get there. At first I was like, but millions of people all around the world believe 100% in the afterlife, right? And they're not Mm -hmm. offing themselves. So just because science proves there's an afterlife doesn't – and then I'm starting – and as I'm watching, this is the thought process in my head. I'm like, I don't don't buy that people would just start Mm -hmm. offing themselves. Then I was like, well, you know, maybe a lot of people whose station in life is is really depressing, maybe – you go through a bad period and you're just like, I just want to get somewhere else. So I know there is a somewhere. Okay, 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 movie. Yeah. I will, I will suspend my disbelief. I can, do, I can do this with you. I, uh, let's go there. And then it, it literally does nothing else with that idea. It's just you know, there's that one moment where the girl who is clearly a setup for the end of the movie says, you know, well, wh- why wouldn't people murder other people if they're sending them to the other place? And I was like, yeah, movie. <laughs> that would be happening constantly if if people are willing to uh, you know if the the um suicide rate is is up this high of course the murder rate would also be why aren't you addressing that yeah. and there are so many things like that where all the ramifications about this as you said Dave I feel like they shortcutted to one of them because it's dramatic but it didn't really feel like organically we moved through all the phases that would lead to that place right Right. Um, I I agree. And I don't know what exactly that would look like, but I think you're mm-hmm. right that one of them would be what's going on with murder. You know, like in, in Leftovers, they look at, OK, what is a scientific community doing this with this? What right. is a normal yeah. family doing with this? What is – but they have that they have that scope because they have so many episodes to, to look at that. Sure. What, what would the government's response be to this? You know, like they, right. that's what The Leftovers does. Uh, and so just after watching that show and then watching this, this, this movie just feels really wanting and lacking in a lot of that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, maybe I'm being unfair with the comparison. Let's talk more just about this movie. I will say, Jeff, in, in the defense of this movie, you say, uh, well, all these people do believe that, uh, that there is an afterlife 100%, right? Like there are already a lot of people out there who believe that. Well, firstly, if we're talking about Christian religion, which is you know, billions of people believe in Christianity, part of Christianity is also that – you need you don't to. Off yourself. You don't offer yourself. You need to right. do good. You know. You need to live out your faith here on earth. So, right. uh, yes, it's built into their faith that there is an afterlife, but it's also built into their faith that you must um, do well on earth and 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 you know let your actions on earth show uh, be proof of your faith. So that's also right. true. Secondly, there are people on this earth who do believe that they need to off themselves, and mm-hmm. uh, they yeah. are extremists Heaven's and they're gate. terrorists, right? <laughs> right. Oh yeah, there's that. That's true. You're yeah. right. You're so right. so I so in the movie's defense, I do think like it, like the idea of scientifically proving that there's an afterlife would create more 
action than what we currently have. Now, but it's that, you know, you know, that famous uh, Hamlet soliloquy, right? That that undiscovered country is is the thing that makes us gives us pause, right? Yes. Is and, the undiscovered think, country from whose born no traveler returns, right? Yeah. The the idea there that just because something is after this and that's definitive that people are just like oh it must be better than here right you know, that, that was always weird... baffling to me you know yeah. is is wouldn't like since no one has come back to tell you about it yep. why wouldn't you assume that it's way worse than it is here you know yeah right yeah that's a, that's a good point although i to me it's interesting to see stories about how people react to the fabric of reality just falling apart in a way or at least there's another layer to it so Maybe it wouldn't like I, I could see it being less widespread than this, but still like something that has started happening. And maybe, you know, once they pro- once they prove like what it looks like, it would get worse. Uh, I think the best thing in this movie is the fact that once they make that realization, right, that they can capture the video of what you're seeing and what you're seeing is weirdly like you relieving your worst, you reliving your regrets so you can like fix it and move on in a way. It's quantum um, leap. More, it's quantum, quantum leap. Yes, very much. But then they're like, we have to destroy this machine because everybody would be like, oh, I know how to solve all my problems right now. Yeah, right. Like, like that, if that, they, that would if make they knew easy. that you could die and then relive your regrets and exactly. redo them, then they would all kill themselves. That right? is like the human condition, right? So if we had like – if people knew that you know the afterlife was inherently a way to fix your biggest life regrets, uh, that would be kind of a problem. In a way. So I found that part interesting. So what did we make of the ending? Because I feel like the ending Ugh, introduces mess. some more ideas that aren't even discussed in, right. in the rest of the movie, right? Like, okay, so so in the one I love, uh, I keep referring to that movie and I keep trying not to spoil it, but, but <laughs> in the uh, in the Q&A, he, he basically told me or told us, I should say, in the audience that uh, that he played around a lot with how much to explain about what was happening. Right. Yeah. But there was one yeah. version of the film where he explained everything, and then you know the final version of the film he doesn't explain everything, but he explains a lot of things, and there's all this uncertainty about what exactly is going on. Uh, and I think he took the same approach in this movie where he doesn't explain everything. Right. Um, yeah, but, but it feels Segal, like he explains more, honestly. Uh, well, he, and he, that's he, where he explains more, apart. but he doesn't explain the thing that the final twist hinges on, which right. is this idea of time loops. Right, that Jason right, Segel's character yeah. Will is trapped in this time loop where he's redoing yeah. this day over yeah. and over again until he can fix this one thing, and then after that he goes off to a completely different place that the movie hasn't even covered yet. Right, right, That's- which is which he wasn't supposedly even present for. So why is he going there? And why in the middle of the time loop does one character have complete self awareness to describe <laughs> to him what's going on in the time loop? Right, right. What is that about? Like. Wh- <laughs> Yeah, because his, his own subconscious knows what's happening. Jeff, come on, get get with this. I don't yeah. quite understand the meaning of the final scene, except I think it's meant to be like, oh, this is the way he actually saves her. You know, no, this is I, the ultimate save. I don't. No, I don't think. I don't think that's right. I think. No, I. I think he's absolutely right. That's I think what. That's, that's what it is. Literally, he literally saves her from all her all her problems started yes. when that kid drowned in the water because she fell asleep, and because he was there to not let the kid go into the water. Her life hmm. doesn't ever go down a dark path. That huh. is the ultimate saving. But I don't know why he's there. Like yeah, he wasn't that's there. That's a bigger for question. That. <laughs> well, in that, that, yeah, that was not there. my interpretation of the end. Just so, just to be clear, that was not my interpretation of the ending because there's that speech where Rooney Mara tells him, "Hey, uh, you already saved me," you know, and like she's referring to the movie that we've just seen, where 
he saves her from killing herself. Yeah, like, that, yeah. that was my interpretation. But she only and wanted then, to kill herself because she let her kid die. Yeah. Hmm. This is like going back to the root of the problem. So. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, uh, well, uh, he w- <laughs> way I to shoot w- me down immediately, Dave. Well, <laughs> what she says is, "Hey, uh, now that you've already solved the problem, you're going somewhere else." Like yeah. that was my, that was what right. I recall hearing. That's the big twist: is the somewhere else is she like he's so interconnected with her that mm-hmm. his somewhere else is also her life. But I don't understand why he's there because. Yeah. Yeah, like he wasn't there originally. Like he's Although not. He said he said he dreamed of that beach, right? Or something. He, he, he said, saw that beach in his right. own yeah, his own near death experience when like, he was a kid. When he had a near death experience, this, like yeah. he saw the kid on the beach. Yeah, this is when it gets a little too much, I guess. But yeah, cosmic connections or something. But this is what I'm talking about about forced sentimentality. Yeah. It's yeah. it just like ham fisted jams it down your throat that these two are connected when. It's that's not what this movie has been about, really, mm-hmm. and and it's just like okay, well, we're just going to contort all the rules up to this point in order to create this moment. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, no, I'm not connected to the moment because I'm, I have all these weird questions in my head that I shouldn't be there. Right. I, I guess for yeah. me, uh, I, yeah, he didn't tell us enough in this movie. Is my is where I come down. On. I thought the one I love. I was like, okay, the amount of information he gave out was pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that information. And in this one, I felt like he's introducing too many concepts too quickly, especially towards mm-hmm. the end of the film. But I, I, I really take issue with the exposition, Mara, that he gets. Uh, you know, <laughs> she's like, his, she's his memory, though, Jeff. Yeah, she's she says that explicitly. She's like, "Hey, I'm your memory. I'm telling you things." But why? Like, okay, but why does that get to happen? Right. Like, yeah. why didn't why yeah. didn't that happen in the earlier iteration? Or right. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Because you know he's sidestepping into that moment through the machine. I guess. Well, yeah. I guess I guess my interpretation was that he had uh, he had tried repeatedly to save her. Right. Uh, like, and all the times he tried to save her happened after they were on the ferry together, and that finally, in this instance, he did save her, even though she did get shot. Um, and also, in order to save her, we're, he literally did commit suicide. Like, we this is this is him dying, dying, dead in yeah. a reality, which is not the reality. It's because, another reality, Jeff. It's the yeah. next reality. I don't. Yeah. So, I think my bigger problem with this whole thing is I don't know how the mechanics of this idea of the afterlife really works. I guess you're fixing your life's biggest regret in an alternate reality of your current world. But yeah. And then what, what happens is, after, what that, happens after you fix it? Yeah. Right. What does like, that lead to? What's the point of all that? And if that were really the case, like wouldn't, uh, I don't know. I feel like there would be more good in the world. If like there was this loop of goodness going around and everybody trying to fix their biggest problems. We're just in a shitty uh, reality where people haven't yeah. done it a lot. Yeah. We're in the worst timeline right now. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of um, Another Earth, which is another movie about this idea of having like a, a second chance, right? Of like your life being screwed up and you have all these regrets. And that movie, even lower budget, uh, no big <laughs> names in the cast. Yeah. But I think that movie did a better job of exploring the personal idea of like, okay, I, I have these problems and maybe this thing could solve it. So, yeah, it's I weird. Agree. How, I agree. Yeah. Another Earth, you know, I, I, I moderately regret putting it on my top ten of that year uh, <laughs> because I don't think it's really aged very yeah. well. But it is yeah. a movie that I liked enough back then to put it on my top ten of the year because, yeah, I did really feel like it, it made me it, – I was left with questions about how I would deal with that situation, right? Whereas with the discovery, I'm left with questions about what is actually happening on screen. Why did right? you do this? What, yeah. yeah, what is what are the mechanics of this whole scenario? 
For sure. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that bothers me is a dude whose father literally, literally, <laughs> using the word correctly, literally <laughs> – nice is responsible for the the deaths of millions of human beings <laughs> and whose mother committed suicide his greatest regret according <laughs> to the universe is is some girl that he brushed up against to one time in a, yeah. in a on a ferry and then never saw again and then heard that's about true. heard about the fact that she died like <laughs> you, you think it would be his mother you know well that's, yeah. that's why he left home and everything yeah 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 it's it, yeah it, it, yeah, I agree. I agree, Jeff. That's weird. <laughs> because the first time around, the first time around, he has like a four sentence conversation with her, yeah. and they, they never see each other again. He turns back on the ferry and goes away, but he can't get it out of his head that she committed suicide. It's like, but, well, but maybe, what maybe if, Jeff, your mom. <laughs> what if the afterlife is just a checklist of fixing all of uh, your life's biggest regrets? You know. Oh, so this was just the one he was working on it's, now. It's the prequel, and we're getting <laughs> we're getting ready for like the the trilogy. Of fixing. Well, Jason. I thought that's what you guys were saying. Like he yeah. fixed this one thing of her, her getting off the ferry and killing herself. Well, and, no. then, and then advances on to solving. It was still related er- to this one thing. Solving an earlier problem of hers. No, I yeah, think that hers. what I was saying is that yeah, that they the movie wants us to believe that they are so inextricably linked, their souls are so bound together that he then goes even farther afield and mm-hmm. fixes the root of her, you know, angst. Well, that's kind of what I was trying to tell you guys about, like, does this relationship work? And if it was an epic love story, you know, we've seen epic love stories on screen, like uh, Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander in uh, Light Between Oceans. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Like, I thought that was a really great – I really bought that those two were very in love, you know? Yeah, that dude – now, that dude would time travel (laughs) to stop that baby. Oh, God. (laughs) He would stop that baby from dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he would definitely have oh, a man. lot of regrets to fix. But my you know, my point being, like that relationship yeah. really worked, and and I think if the relationship between Will and Isla was a little bit stronger here, that I would be I would be able to forgive a lot of the confusing elements of this movie. Yeah, so. I, I think I, yeah, it's tough because they're building up Isla as this character who has to work through her own issues and her depression and everything. So it's a, it can't be like a quick, you know, just fall in love head over heels thing. It's a slow right. progression. And I kind of bought their slow progression. I love the scene where she's just like, can we hold hands? And he's like, uh, it's kind of sex for me. Um, cause he's just holding his hand up. Uh, so those little things I like, I don't know how those things lead to, yeah, their souls being inextricably linked. Spoilers for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless oh, Mind. Movie I up. thought about yep. a lot. Yeah. yeah. So spoilers for Eternal Sunshine. If you haven't watched Eternal Sunshine, don't, don't listen to the next few sentences, but, uh, yeah, the ending really reminded me of Eternal mm-hmm. Sunshine. This idea of he's, he's trying not to forget about what is happening. Right. And then at the very last shot, it seems that he remembers, Right, yeah. why he's there? Yeah. Uh, again, a, a thing that I thought was done better in Eternal Sunshine, oh, but in this far. in this movie, I mean, Eternal Sunshine is a is a movie that like is great partially because it's so clear about the rules, right? Definitely. Uh, yes. And and this is a movie that's not super clear about the rules, and I think suffers for it. You don't always have to have rules clearly delineated, but when it's as complex as they are in the discovery, I feel like it could have helped. Mm-hmm. So. The other yeah. thing that really bothered me a lot is that uh, Jason uh, – um, uh, what's his name? Segal. Jason Siegel. Siegel. I wanted to say Schwartzman and I couldn't get that yes. out of my head. Uh, Jason Siegel's character is a neuroscientist. <laughs> neuroscientist, right? <laughs> but for a large portion of this movie, they're trying to figure out whether what they're looking at is a memory 
That's yeah. not how memory works. <laughs> He's like, well, it can't be a memory because the details are wrong. It's like, yeah, that's how memory works. Details are wrong. <laughs> Constant. A neuroscientist would know memories yeah. aren't a recording of the events. Yeah. The memories uh, yeah. are these these fucked up things that change and and uh, fool you and and it's and it's affected over time and memories are v- malleable. It's not like well mm-hmm. you had the different tattoo so it de- will rule out memory. <laughs> you know it's like well I, that's I, I not didn't how even memory think, I didn't even think we were going to get into the scientific accuracy of the movie. <laughs> well, sure, but that, but that is a very good me. point, Jeff. Like uh, I think on the level this movie approaches science, that's a good point. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea that you could like take a dead body and and get its like have access to its soul, I thought was pretty <laughs> uh, stupid. You know, like it, it, it just isn't the whole discovery that like the soul has left the body, right? And so, wouldn't the soul be gone? Like, why would the dead body give you access to anything? Anyway, that's true. Like, it's uh, even even in the rules they set up is like they <laughs> yes, they yes. measured something leaving the body. It's like, okay, so what are you what are you trying to see here? What's going on? Exactly. Yeah. Even in the confusing. rules that they set up, it it kind yeah. of doesn't work. Really and well. I, I really wish we saw we reviewed. Um, your name together with this because they, these two movies are cosmically linked in ways that I can't get into. But All right, I will your watch your I will watch that. your name, Devinder. Yeah, I, I will watch it. I will see. I'm very excited. Yeah, so to see maybe it. we can have like a bonus review of that or something. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it does. It did remind me also of another movie, not in ter- terms of content, but just the title, uh, Twenty One Grams. Right. The idea of that movie is that it's kind of a an old wives' tale or whatever that the body. Which, mm-hmm. from my understanding, has been completely scientifically disproved, right? <laughs> but the, the idea that the body loses 21 grams at the moment of death. So, like, what is that 21 grams? It must be the soul. Uh, this idea that the soul has some kind of mass to it, right? Um, that's kind of where I started watching this movie in the idea that the soul is like a, has physical properties, and then and then when they bring a dead guy back and then try to like hook him up to the machine, I'm like, well, isn't theoretically the soul gone and out there? Like, why? Anyway, I just I think scientifically yeah, the movie doesn't yeah. hold up to any scrutiny whatsoever, Jeff. So. <laughs> no, I agree, and yeah. that bothers me. It's like, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, all right, well. <laughs> I think that's going to bring us to the end of. I mean, I have more thoughts on the movie, but like, the, I think so, we're just yeah, we're not we're, really adding. We're just beating a dead point. horse at this point. Like, we yeah. clearly had a lot of problems with it. It didn't really work for us on a fundamental level. So, it's uh, too bad. Go see the one I love. If you haven't seen that, yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's, it's a better, so more enjoyable film. It's and, so good. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Uh, find more episodes of our podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. AdamWarrock.com wrote our theme song. SimonMHarris.com did our Slash Film Court music. And Kyle Hillinger did our uh, spoiler bumper. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Devinder Hardwar, where can you find more of your work on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devinder, and I write about techandgadget.com. How about you, Jeff? I'm at Jeff Kanata on Twitter, and uh, I have several other shows, including um, my video game long-form show called DLC. That's at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I have a daily video game show uh, called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find at anchor.fm slash NLB. And I have a uh, comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. All right. And find all my stuff at davechen.net. I blog there pretty regularly. Uh, next week we're going to be reviewing the fate of the furious i think there's going to be a really interesting conversation around whether or not this series has run its course 
you know. Uh, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to talking with you guys about that. That's going to be next week on the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.